can I make money in the music business? Why copyright? Should I make a CD anymore? Trying to break into the music and entertainment biz? Wondering how the business works? Wondering how guys like Elton John and MC Hammer go bankrupt? Why am I not making any cash? Tune in to WP Brave New Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Hang with the university's music business faculty hosts, me, Steve Marconi. And me, Dave Phil. Plus, we'll have industry guests and students from the music management program. How do I get gigs down at the shore? Call in with your questions and hear the latest in industry happenings. How do I get my music on iTunes? How do I get on a tour? It's Music Biz 101 and more every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on WP Brave New Radio. Your secretary's got our checks, right? Mine's direct deposit, I think. (laughs) Hey, here we are. Music Biz 101 and more brought to you by WP 88.7 Brave New Radio, the home of Braveology. I am Professor Dave Philp here with Dr. Stephen Marconi. And we are here every Wednesday night, 8 p.m., which is redundant, by the way, to say Wednesday night and then 8 p.m. So Wednesday Six. night at 8 o'clock. At 8. At 8. At eight. Or on the promo, you say 8 o'clock. I know. At 8 o'clock. Rub it in. That's right. But we, <laughs> we are here uh, today with uh, a great PR media man, George Dassinger. Say good day, George. Hi, everybody. And we are also here with the great Julie... Wellgoss. Wellgoss. All of a sudden, just totally, totally lost you. Julie Wogas, who we're going to introduce in a moment. We have our producer, as always, Philip Gorohovsky, with us today. And behind the glass, our engineer, this episode is Sebastian Escobar, who is waving to you. We're waving to him right now. Uh, this is, like we said, Music Biz 101 and more. This is the only radio show in the, these United States that focuses on the business side of the music and entertainment business. Dr. Marconi, what was the song that was leading us in just now? Well, we were very fortunate last night to have a special guest at our uh, spring lecture series. The spring lecture series had uh, for the guest lecturer, Kenny Laguna, who is a composer, producer, and manager of Joan Jett. And he just happened to bring Joan Jett along, incognito, actually. But we did discover her in the audience, sitting among all the students. And uh, that is, I believe, her latest single, called Any Weather, that she had uh, had written last year with Dave Grohl. So we were very happy to play the little lead-in, and maybe we'll play it a little longer on the way out. And we had an exciting evening. Uh, not only was uh, Kenny very informative and had uh, tons of stories, both as, uh, well, as a composer and as a producer, but also the uh, students got to uh, get pictures taken with Joan, and uh, she was very cordial. And very nice, and it, w- it worked out very nicely. And it is the buzz of Facebook and William Patterson University today. It is what everybody is talking about. Julie, you were there last night, weren't you? Did I you was. get to meet Joan Jett? Yeah, I took a selfie with her. I had to make sure it was a selfie. And I hugged her. But I was, like, starstruck when I met her. I was shaking because I did not expect that to happen at all. That's right. And you're basically starstruck when you're starstruck when you're with Dr. Marconi and myself, oh, of aren't course, you? Of course, of yeah. course. I'm yeah, always nervous. Minute. Yeah, I'm I'm starstruck when I'm with me as well. But but that was really cool. And if if people want to see some of these pictures, they can go to our website, musicbiz101wp.com. We actually have a full wrap up of last night's Kenny Laguna event. It's the lead post right there. It's called uh, Music Management Series uh, Kenny Laguna Guest Wrap Up in Tweets. 
and we tweeted throughout the entire uh, the entire uh, the episode that he yeah. was a lecturer that he was there and we have some pictures and we have a, a whole recap of he gave some really great information about what it's like to be a manager what it's like to to produce artists how how he writes his songs uh, he, he's i think he had it was a, a 50 top 100 hits by 1972 and mm-hmm. in 72 he was 22 yeah he started all this in in high school he was still in high school actually uh and he was a musician from age five, taking piano lessons and came from a fairly show-busy type uh, family where they were uh, into um, show business and he had an aunt who was a concert pianist. Yes. And uh, you had to pass her test before you even could start taking lessons uh, because uh, she was the ruler of the innate talent that someone might have. Uh, and he passed the test and... Uh, he went on to do quite a bit of uh, bubblegum music backing uh, before uh, moving on to actually hooking up with Joan Jett. And um, it's been a, a great, uh, as he calls it, partnership. So it's a little different than normal management where a manager would take a percentage. Uh, they are partners in everything that uh, they do and that he does. And it was also interesting talking about the startup days of his label, Blackheart Records. And basically how he didn't know how to do manufacturing. And he called a guy who knew a guy who started manufacturing. And then he was selling them out of the trunk of his car. The, mm-hmm. the romantic notion of, right. I'm going to sell my music out of the trunk of the car and get rich. And he right. mentioned how the, the bigger your hit, the less money you made. Right, exactly. Basically. And he was selling them as an import, even though he was selling them out of the trunk of his car. And they were made in the U.S., but that's the only way he could get them distributed. Made in Queens, I think he said, right? Yeah, I, mean, I believe that's where, just, where just, they were Yeah, going. just posted import right on the front. And, yeah. And there we go. Uh, Great stories. Yeah, that was it was really interesting, and we have five of those every spring semester here on the campus of William Patterson University. It was a great series that we have this year. We'll start it up again in 2015, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, but why why don't we at this point get into briefly who our student co-host is today? Okay, Julie Wilgos. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us about you're the leader of a student organization here on campus yes. built around music business. Why don't you explain? Yes, who, what that I'm is? the president of music and entertainment organization here. So what we do is bring student musicians and music lovers together, and we get to know each other. We hang out every week, and um, we become really really close and get to network through each other. We put on showcases around campus and go places together. So we're working on the rap battle now, which is coming on April 23rd at 9 p.m. in the multi-purpose room. And we're going to have 12 freestyle artists, students. They're all college-age students. They're going to come in and compete. And we have three judges, one really special guest judge who we're not allowed to announce yet. <laughs> but uh, first place, they get five-hour studio time. And we're collecting money for QMAC Food Bank in Patterson. So that's exciting. We're working with SAPB for that, yeah. Is that open to the public? That is. It's open to the public. First 200 people can come in, but we won't let anyone else after that. That's our capacity. So there will be wristbands. So it's first come, first serve. Free event? Yes, it's absolutely free. Great. It's an absolute. Great. What else is coming up, Dave? 
Well, we also have a big event coming up April 26th at the Shea Auditorium, the Shea Center for the Performing Arts. It's a big event called Collage. And it, when you say collage, it actually has an exclamation mark at the end of it. So it it's shows you how important that is. But our show next week on the 9th is actually going to be all about the event behind Collage, how social media and, and all the marketing going on behind that is going to help, help promote this big collage event, which is basically the best of the best of the music uh, department of William Patterson University. And we're going to have some uh, actually uh, live performances go on during the show next week. And that's going to be really, really pretty cool. And then uh, April 16th, Elena Rossi. And you know Elena. Mm-hmm. Elena did uh, um, a number of years at Capital and EMI in both uh, promotion and in PR. And she uh, is going to be our guest in, live in the studio that uh, on the 16th, two weeks from today. And she's driving up from almost South Jersey. To yes. come on up to see us. Sure. We're, we're a big deal. Manawan, Dr. Yeah. Steven. We certainly are. April 23rd, Aaron Van Dyne. Big man. Yes. Aaron Van Dyne, who is the business manager for KISS, for Dave Matthews, and for Three Doors Down, among many other... The Rascals. Um, yes. Rascals. Right. The Rascals. Some of the Rascals, right. And uh, he will be in to uh, answer anyone's questions with on the role of a business manager and how that role has changed drastically to be as important today as the personal manager. And uh, right today, you're going to, in two seconds, give our introduction because we're going to talk about the role within the team of, a, of an artist's career, the role of the uh, PR team. And uh, we want people to know that they can call in and ask some questions, uh, 973-720-720. 2738. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. You'll be able to ask George Dassinger all about PR. And if you're a do-it-yourself musician or in a band and you have some questions, he's here to answer them for you. You can also tweet your questions. We have about six or seven already. You can go to at Music Biz 101 WP. But Dr. Stephen Marconi, why don't you do the George Dassinger introduction? <laughs> Very simply. George, PR is known, or the PR people are known as the people who are able to make chicken salad out of chicken. Why did you get into this? You know, I fell into it, to be honest with you. Um, and, and part of this is your fault, Steve. Ah. Um, Steve and I met at a, was it BMI or an ASCAP lunch or dinner or something? And he said, you want to teach at William Patterson? I went, why? <laughs> <laughs> and here we are 18 years later. Um, I always like promotion. Um, even as a kid, I used to sell iced tea and lemonade at Little League games. Um, I would go to carnivals. I was always the kind of kid that would help the college students in the, the booth that they were raising. I would bang the cane on the gr on the table and go on, step right up, try your luck. I love doing all that. And um, to me, promotion is, is a lot of fun, especially if you do it on a shoestring. I mean, I've worked where I've had big budgets, but to me, really, when you have no money, that's when it's the most fun. It's the most creative, mm -hmm. and it's lacking in this business. Uh, I was just at a Sony Red meeting yesterday um, with a project that I'm working on, and I waited for one person to come up with a creative idea, and the most, and the only idea they came up with, can you get the artist to autograph 100 copies and we can give them to our retailers? That was it. Our retailers. Retailers. <laughs> So I'm going to give a piece of memorabilia away to someone who's going to stash it 
and not do anything with it, and it's not going to help sell this project at all. Is that what you're saying? I didn't say that, but that's the implication of it. Um, I originally got into this. I was uh, I used to write for the Old Aquarian, which has uh, been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, um, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, after that, I went to another publication. Promoter came in. He was doing concerts at the Old South Mountain Arena, and he was doing three shows. He was doing uh, Vince Gill's old band. Um, Pure Prairie League he was doing a Marshall Tucker band and Rick Nelson and so he said I'll hire you to do the promo of course long story short I did all the promo and he stiffed me uh, fled town didn't pay me a thing and it was my first real lesson into how public relations work that you collect the money first before you do any of the work bright side of it I did get to meet Rick Nelson who is uh, incredibly uh, generous um, shy as is amazingly shy could be um, Never really, I think, ever came to full grips with who he was mm. um, and then died tragically, obviously. But that, mm-hmm. that's how I came into this business. I then, when I graduated college, I found out I have a job I went for. They told me I was overqualified. Nobody would give me a job because they were afraid I'd steal their job. Uh, I went to work in the post office for five years and I'm still writing, doing music stuff. And a friend of mine was uh, at a major PR firm, Rogers & Cowan, Joe Dara and said, could you come in? And um, he said, I got a guy here that works as my manager. His dad uh, runs the New Jersey Film Commission. The guy hides in his office, does absolutely nothing, and I'm going to fire him. But I need to see if you could do this. So he brought me in for a day. I called into the post office sick, um, which means I got paid for the day. (laughs) And uh, went on the phone, and I pitched the band Tavares, who then became later good friends of mine. Leaders say they offered me the gig. Long hair, rock and roll kid. It's 1977. And I thought, oh, I'm working at a major PR firm. They represent Paul McCartney, Hall and Oates. I'm going to represent all, all these great acts that I really like. They gave me all the acts that nobody really cared about. <laughs> and those were the best tools and lessons that I could have because it made me really work because they're the ones you had to get creative with. Mm-hmm. And after a series of years, I moved up into a vice president's position, took over corporate entertainment, started representing companies like R.J. Reynolds, uh, the Remington Shaver Company. I liked the shaver so much I bought the company, which actually was a complete lie. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and then I started representing Teddy Pendergrass as a client, and they offered me the, g- the gig to go to Electra Records, which I took, and I took a $20,000 pay cut, but I wanted to work at a record company. Mm-hmm. And now, for the last 25 years, I work on my own. Good. That's it. So how has it changed? It hasn't changed at all. Actually, it's actually probably worse. Uh, I don't see any creative element um, except for people that um, sort of had original pioneers in this business that are still around, still working, like a Jerry Lembo, Jerry... I, w- I was with Jerry last week. I watched this man work his game. He was great. He was marvelous. He worked the room, knew everybody, even if he didn't know them. He made it seem like he knew them to introduce little Anthony to everybody. We swept the room to where Taylor Swift came up to Anthony. I mean, it was just an amazing kind of – and when you work with pros, and that's probably where my class is right now that I teach here. I'm teaching them how to be professionals, that they got to step up. Like last week, only six of the 14 of them showed up for class. And I let the word out that stops right here, right now. Everybody shows up from this point on. The last part of the semester, you guys have to be a whole different class. This isn't just a night class that I don't want to go to anymore. we got a job to do. We represent certain clients. That's how the class is run, like a PR firm. 
they were all here tonight. Mm-hmm. And they are here, actually. Yes, about are, five feet are, away from are, us on the other side audience. of the wall. Yeah, and they're supposed to critique me. I told them, I said, I want you to say where I screw up, what I don't say, what I should say, um, because they're the pros now. They're supposed to understand what this business is all about in a very short amount of time, and this is a real crackerjack class. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you guys representing when you said you have RSA? Uh Well, the first client that they had to represent was an interesting situation. Um, I got a client to donate capos um, with the charity's name on it um, to the charity itself. It's called Guitar for Vets. They're based in Milwaukee. They uh, give free guitars and uh, guitar lessons for six months, including a kit, um, the polishes, strings, the whole nine yards. And a lot of the veterans, unfortunately, suffer post-traumatic stress syndrome. Music has amazing curing abilities. Um, It's done wonders. Um, They become invested. They become reinterested, refocused. Um, So the class had to do basically a music music industry um, instrument trade publication pitch on how this charity was donated, these capos, by the Kaiser Capo Company, which is in Texas. They've done a very, very good job. There are about 10 major magazines. In fact, the whole music instrument business is still run like the old rock and roll business. It is magazine dominated. It is not an online business no. uh, as far as the way they project themselves, mm. as Nam will prove out. Out of so far, out of the 10, they've scored five of them. As And a lot of couple will just run the release on its own. They won't even let you know, but we have already five confirmations. So they're doing exceedingly well, mm. but yet they had no idea what they were walking into when they first set my class. So that's the next thing they're going to be doing is the Bravery and Radio Award, which we're reinstituting. Um, we can't tell you how this whole thing works. Uh, it will be announced. Uh, the class has already started in the game plan, um, and they're going to do all the work. I mean, I don't expect them to write a press release. That, that's, that's an art unto itself. You can't expect somebody in a semester to teach them how to write something in a one-page synopsis of what your project is. So basically, I do the release for them, but they do all the work. I direct them to who will make the most sense and who will give coverage, and I know everybody. I mean, I've been in this business for over 35 years, so I know the David Hinckley's, I know the Ray Adele's, I know the Alan Cozens at the New York Times. We Mm -hmm. know these people, so I tell them, you're in my class, you tell them you're my class. And then they go, well, I emailed him. He didn't get back to me. That's how this business works. Some of them will get back to you. Often they don't. Then you have to do follow-up. But in a limited class where the semester ends in a few weeks, the clock's ticking. Mm-hmm. So that's what they have to do. And they've done an exceedingly good job. I could tell when I first started class who's got it and who didn't. This class, I could tell they all had it, which is the first time I've had a class like that. That's great. So, Julie, what did you learn or what are you taking with you from George's class? Oh, God. Um, a lot, actually, <laughs> yeah. I, I actually had no idea what the class was about because um, the name of it actually doesn't really pertain to what we're doing in the class. But um, I've learned from him and both of you guys that in this business you have to be forward and you can't be shy and you have to go around people, as you were saying earlier, and actually make your statement in order to get what you want and get where you want and to think logically but also creatively creatively in this business, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what I've learned from all three of you. Absolutely. Big inspiration. A lot of help. Boy. <laughs> she did she got her money's worth. Yeah, she did not. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you've spent your money wisely. So, so <laughs> no, I got to say that of all the things I've done in my career, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life is teaching a class. 
and I help people get jobs. Um, it's a who you know business. That's mm-hmm. how these things get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve, once again, it's all your fault. <laughs> so PR people sometimes almost take the role of a personal manager, don't they? If if the client has a lame manager or no management, oh, and you're, you're that's trying to get. True. I call them conduit managers. <laughs> They're managers who say, well, um, let me talk to him and see what he wants to do. And I usually, the minute I get a manager like that, I bypass him completely and I contact the artist directly. And uh, some of them are awkward situations. Um, the one that immediately comes to mind when I was at Rogers and Cowan, I represented Andy Gibb. Manager calls me one day, his friend. Often that's the case. Like Drake's got all of his buddies around them. Some of them are professionals and some of them are inadequate authorities. Um, Andy's manager was a friend. He was a pretty good manager, actually. And he calls me up and says, you know, Andy's got a cocaine problem. I said, no kidding. <laughs> um, and he said, um, I, I, I need for you to do me a favor. And I went, what? He said, I want you to call him up and convince him to go on Good Morning America and talk about his cocaine addiction. And I went, why, why is Andy going to listen to me? He goes, George, he said, he's been with you several times. He said, believe me, if you call him. I said, you're his friend for years. How come you don't do it? He won't listen to me. So he said, call him. I go, Mark, I said, I don't know. I feel awkward about this. He said, I'm begging you, please call. So I call up Andy. And Andy says, do you realize what you're asking me to do? You're asking me to bear my soul? The the thing that I keep the most secret, even my brothers don't know how bad my problem is? I go, yeah, Andy. I said, I do. I fully do. I said, I couldn't do this. I couldn't go on Good Morning America and talk about a drug problem that I have. I couldn't do that. He said, there's a pregnant pause, and I'm going, let's go one way or another. And he said, uh, okay, but I'll only do it in one condition, one condition only. And I said, what's that? He said, you have to go with me. I said, of course, absolutely. And I hung up the phone, and I remember sitting there thinking, oh, my God. I can't <laughs> believe what I just did. I know it's going to help him. But this is going to be a really weird day, and this is stuff that I had no idea that I would ever be put into those positions. And in these other instances, too, I mean, you know, I've, I've had to go against my own company where the company would promise the client the moon. We're going to get you on the cover of People magazine. This is the case of uh, Ronnie Millsap. And most people don't understand in those days, People magazine had a moratorium. Once you're on the cover, you can't be on for another five years. So Ronnie had been on three, four years prior to that. And I said to his manager, Dan Cleary, I said, he's not going to be on the cover of People magazine. This is a moratorium. He said, your boys in Beverly Hills promised me. I said, well, they lied to you. He said, well, I'm going to fire your company. I said, I would, if I was you, I'd fire our company too. They lied to you. (laughs) So then I hear from my boss in Beverly Hills, how dare I do such a thing? I said, you shouldn't lie to them. I said, and then you put me in the job of representing them. I will always tell them the truth. And if you don't like that, you better fire me right here, right now. Mm-hmm. He didn't fire me. Mm-hmm. You brought up Drake a moment ago. Yeah. Because something I had read, and I was speaking about this with one of my uh, Introduction to the Music Biz classes, uh, Drake, from what I understood, fired his publicist a couple months ago. Remember when... Um, the Rolling Stone incident. Yeah, he was supposed to be cover on the cover Rolling of Rolling Stones. Philip Seymour mm-hmm. Hoffman died, right. pushed him off the cover. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was upset about that because he'd been promised the cover, right. and he fired his publicist. And that happens a lot. That happens very often. They, you know, you get a confirmation for a cover, and some incident like that happens. Somebody famous dies. They should understand that. Now, unfortunately... Who's the they? Well, anybody that, that, that was in the initial 
that's got to be pitched by somebody. Covers don't happen on their own. Mm-hmm. They're done by somebody like myself. Um, like I got Motley Crue on the cover of Rolling Stone. I had to call Rolling Stone and they're going, why should we put them on the cover? And then you got to back it up with some sort of credence. You know, right? Drake's powerful, but Drake's biggest problem is he's brought all his homeboys with him. So he makes somebody his manager, somebody his tour manager. They're inadequate authorities. They shouldn't be in these positions to begin with, but they're his guys. So if they screw up, he'll dump them too. Then they become obligatory. Mm-hmm. The publicist is always the first to go because, oh, you told me I was going to have this. It wasn't her fault that Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> overdosed. Mm-hmm. And in all, if you analyze it, the guy is a national known and a tragic celebrity, and they will always will out. Uh, I represented Nikki Taylor when her sister Chrissy, they put her on the cover of People magazine. They cover because, not because she was a famous model, although she was becoming that at 17, it's because she died. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is. I mean, look, Ray Charles finally went platinum. The day, he had to die to go to become a platinum recording artist. Mm-hmm. And that's the society we're in. That's the business we're in. Drake is, and then he blames, he's got to blame somebody else. And then he later had to apologize because he went off on it. He made the biggest mistake. Someone should have said, you know, Jake, Drake, just shut up. Just shut up. You'll get the cover some other time. Your other time will come around. They owe us one now. Maybe we're not going to get it now, but we'll get it the next record. We'll get it the next tour, whatever it is. But obviously, you didn't have people like that. They went off, shot their mouth off. They looked bad. And then later, he's got to apologize. And he'll never get out from under that rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in a more traditional sense, should that happen? Like, maybe you're not dealing with a Drake, but you're dealing with, let's say, uh, I'm looking at, at Julie's shirt. She has Springsteen on, on her shirt. Um, let's say Springsteen was going to be on the cover. That happened. Is it the publicist's job to get to that artist as soon as possible to let them know, to communicate immediately that this has happened and here's why so that they can kind of cut off? Or is it a, a guy like Drake, it, it wouldn't matter anyway? Well, you know, that, that's a yes and a no answer kind of, Dave. Like a guy like Drake, he's probably so full of himself thinking, I deserve the cover. So what if the guy died? He can get the cover any old time. I, it was my cover. He shouldn't have had it. It's not his cover and he should have had it. It's the populace's cover. You bring up Springsteen, Springsteen was on the cover of Time Magazine and Newsweek the same time. It became a big to-do. That was done because they both wanted to race to, to the, get the cover and to be that kind of covering that celebrity. That will never happen again because they're in competition, so to speak. Maybe not so much today, but back in those days, that ended that completely. And, and it's always pitched by somebody like me. That's where it starts. It's not pitched by manager, although in the case of Springsteen, uh, maybe that was a bit different. Um, there was a whole Columbia faction behind it. And, you know, most people don't realize Bruce Springsteen's first album was almost a failure, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden he became bigger than life. Um, and it wasn't over. There were overnight successes after maybe three or four years in the business. I went to see Bruce Springsteen down at the Old Tower Theater. I had no idea who the guy was. Manage, uh, I was working for a promoter, a guy named Rick Green, and he said, you got to come down and see these guys. Didn't tell me who it was. I walk in, everybody's standing, singing a song I had never heard before, and I knew something was happening, but I remember making the comment that, you know, guy's got something, but yeah, you should change his name. <laughs> shows you shows you what I know. And, do, do magazine covers matter as much anymore no, as maybe they did? Because 75, I think that's when he was on the cover of uh, Time and News. Not, not the impact that it had back in, in, a, in a previous era, but... There is a prestige element, like still being on the cover of Rolling Stone still means something. There are uh, publicists like me who all they do is pitch covers, and if they don't get a cover, they won't even participate in it. Um, 
I was never of that elk. I didn't do a whole lot of covers because I would have, like when I got Kenny Rogers and his wife, Marianne, at the time on the cover of People magazine. But it, it wasn't that fulfilling to me. To me, I always thought it's a much better way to have a whole lot of stories, a whole lot of groundswell, a whole lot of sales. Like publicity that, don't, that doesn't sell to me was absolutely worthless. And there's a lot of, like Steve started in the beginning, they call my profession spin doctors. They put spins on things. Um, some of them reputable, some of them not. I mean, I, I joked to my class, the ambient excuse. Oh, she was on the ambient. She didn't know what she was doing. That's an outright lie. Of course they know what they're doing. They always know what they're doing. If they got a drug problem, oh, they're going to blame it on something else. Oh, she's stressed out. Oh, oh, she had, came from a bad family. None, all those are played out excuses that some sort of publicist comes up with. Um, last week, Gwyneth Paltrow, they're, they're consciously uncoupling. If that isn't a PR statement, I don't know <laughs> I what is. It. You know, that's a creative, oh, no, they're not divorcing. You know, so that's how they, they, they come up with coin phrases. Uh, well, I got one more sure. question. So how do we, how does a publicist now cut through the internet? I mean, the internet is the freest, the least expensive way to do things. And, and I don't think you cut through it. I think you create something viral. You make something like last year I w was working with Dick Wagner. Dick Wagner told a story in his book on how Raquel Welch chased Alice Cooper all over the place, literally tried to seduce him at every chance she could get. <laughs> well, I broke it in page six in your post. It went viral. It broke in Taiwan. It broke in Hong Kong. It broke in England. It broke in South America. It went worldwide. Mm -hmm. That's how you do something. You make it go viral, but somebody starts that. Somebody starts it somewhere, and you have to. My tact usually is I break it through another media instead of making it look self-serving like the publicist did it. I make it seem as though it broke in this story and they took it a while. And Murdoch has massive outreach. So you can do something like that or do it on a small scale. You can break – I mean I always think that you lay claim to titles. Say I'm the, I'm the most popular band in the state of New Jersey. Who's going to challenge you? And if they do challenge you, <laughs> they got to prove it. And the one who lays claim to it usually wins. Mm-hmm. Good point. That's great. We're going to start taking your the questions from uh, George's class. We have some tweet questions that we're going to do. And your calls at 973-720-2738. This is Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7. One thing we want to bring up before we get back to George Dassinger is there's going to be a great show all about Hank Williams. Not Hank Williams Jr. and Monday Night Football, but all about Hank Williams, the father of, maybe you could even almost call him maybe one of the fathers of country music. Yeah, and it's a show that absolutely. is going to, to air. I'm sorry, it's going to actually appear here on the uh, William Patterson University stage at the Shea Center for the Performing Arts, starring Tim Hadler, who's the, uh, the, the auteur, of a new album called Glad You Made It, and that is happening Saturday night, 8 o'clock. It's called Lonesome Highway. Lonesome Highway, the story of it. It's, it's a, not a one-man show, but it's basically him, a band, and they're doing... It's more than a tribute. So He, he invented this sort of persona, uh, and it's really of, of Hank Williams' life. So tickets are available. Go to that. Go to that. We are suggesting ur urgently that you go to that. All right, we are back. We're still here... We are going to take our first phone call with George Dassinger. Caller, you are on Music Biz 101 and more. What you got to say for yourself? Hey, guys. it's uh, My name's Chelsea. I just had a question for George. Sure. Go ahead. 
Um, so the career path you took is very similar to what I want to do. I'd like to do PR and social media for a record label and then eventually possibly own my own firm doing PR and social media. Um, so I'd really like to know just what advice you have for me and people who want to go down this road, you know, starting out doing internships and what can make you stand out. My advice is don't look for the label that's at the top of the heap. Go for the one that's at the bottom of the heap because if you do an exceedingly good job on somebody that nobody cared about, and basically in PR, uh, in your general population, nobody cares. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the truth of the matter. Nobody cares. You've got to make them care. You've got to come up with some sort of reason, and you've got to think creatively. Sometimes right. um, you have to create a statistic. Um, like I was joking before, you know, saying I'm, I'm the best band in North New, I'm the, I'm the greatest singer in North New Jersey, you know, and then you got to back it up. Um, right. So if you're going to start, like I said, trying to go to a universal where somebody doesn't, they're not going to let you work any major account. They're going to give you the garbage that they don't want or that they don't really care about or that it's sort of they're there and they don't know what to do with. But if you can excel with a group or an artist like that, you stand out from the rest of the pack. Okay. Okay, cool. Thank you. You're welcome. A, another question was, uh, this came from actually uh, a student, Dominic Michelle. His question basically was, at what point should a DIY band decide whether or not they need to hire a publicist or if they should continue doing it themselves? I would say first do it yourself until you can economically afford. I mean, it can be pricey. Um, you're better off doing stuff you felt, create an alternative identity for yourself. Nobody will ever know the difference. I mean, give yourself a name, put yourself on a press release, do your own press releases, always keep them on one page. Don't do more than one page because nobody goes on to the second page of anything. Um, it's just the way things are. you got to understand the psychology of who you're dealing with and understand the market that you're pitching to. Um, let's say, for example, um, you're a gun enthusiast. Now, a lot of people would be negative about that, but there are 7 million people that belong to the NRA. You could literally pitch yourself to the NRA and conceivably have a gold or platinum album just selling it to the NRA. Mm. So find your own segment that you want to apply to, and that's the way you should direct yourself. You've used the word creativity quite a bit. Julie even threw it out uh, back then. Um, in your meeting yesterday at Sony Red, you said there was no creativity in the room, and, you, and you've mentioned a couple not, times that word. Not at all. What? What is creativity do? What is something that, that, that musicians and, and artists listening right now can, can think of that you can kind of spur and get their creative energy going so that they can figure out how can I stand out in this extremely crowded marketplace in a world of where everybody wants to do what I'm doing? Well, you, you got to keep your own identity, first of all, and being creative. I, I mean, a, I guess it was about two or three years ago I had a student in one of my classes that I managed this band. He said they gig, they have regular, you know, dates that they have. He said, but they're lazy. They don't do anything. They sleep all day. He said, um, the lead singer is a nice guy, but, um, and I said, well, what, what else do they do? And he says, what do you mean? And I said, well, what does the lead singer do? He said, well, he cooks for everybody. I said, he cooks? I said, how about doing a cookbook? And he goes, I never thought of that. I said, it's hard to sell music today, but food, food, everybody loves food. So needless to say, I guess it was about six months after he said, he goes, we did a cookbook. We sell the CD. He said, we're, we're doing restaurant gigs. He said, we're getting alternative stuff. He found an, a niche that wasn't really explored. Um, I mentioned the NRA before. I have a, a country artist. She's raised in Mississippi. It's part of their culture. When she was eight, they gave her, her parents gave her a shotgun. So she performs for the NRA. Now, someone can find that distasteful. 
I just see it as direct marketing. So, you know, if whatever, if I'm an independent band or I'm a singer-songwriter, find something that works for you. And it's got to be outside of music. They want to know your story. you got to have a story. You can't be just, oh, um, I love my songs and I sit around and I live <laughs> in my parents' house and I sit around and write music. And it's got to be more. It's got to have something. I do a lot of charity work. I... Um, I, I help these people. I do, I'm a fireman on the side. It can be anything like that. But it, we're in a people business. You need to be a person beyond your art. Yeah, create something unique, too, if you can. Yeah, if, if possible. You know, it gets harder and harder. We're running out of firsts. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny. Uh, Dan B. has a question. He says, what is some stuff that you do for your clients that the general public wouldn't realize is done for them? Um, I ghostwrite. There's a client that I write a blog for. I mean, she gives me the basic information, but I make it sound like she'll say, oh, my band is great, and I'll put the names of her band in her blog because she doesn't think to name them specifically. Mm. She doesn't think to name her producer. She doesn't think to name her record company. She doesn't think to name the DJ who's who she was sitting in with in Lexington, Kentucky. I do all of that. Of course, her name is on it, but most people don't. And, and and that happens with a lot of PR people uh, write blogs for their artists. They don't write them at all. At least I get her input, and then I embellish it. Okay, Carrie wants to know, Carrie wants to know, what's the best way to go about dealing with negative or false PR and publicity? And my follow-up would be, is there such a thing as bad PR? Yes, there is such a thing as bad PR, in my book, anyway. I think the truth will, will out constantly. And if you're in a bad situation, the first thing you need to come out and straighten it out and set the record straight. Perfect example is the, the head of General Motors who's in front of Congress right now. There she is justifying 13 deaths before other, CI, uh, other CEOs. She just said, we're going to set this straight. We've hired now a guy named Feinstein who did all the settlements for the World Trade Center. They're already making that corrected. But she's not acknowledging that they're responsible. Ultimately, it was an ignition problem. They are responsible for those deaths. But it was 13 deaths. They should have said it. And as far as numbers are concerned, we're not minimizing it. But she should have been more honest. But she's trying to play the corporate game. Which, and corporate people, generally CEOs, executives, they're always nervous of the press. Um, where artists are more candid sometimes, although there are some of them that outright lie on, on varying talk shows. Okay, you've done work with a, a varied... Uh, clientele. It hasn't all been music. It's right. been models. You've done. You've worked with sports figures as well. Yeah. Uh, of, out of all the various, I'll call them genres of, of humanity that you've dealt with, is there one that has been? Uh, this uh, this is Michael wants to know which one has benefited you the most. And my follow up would be: Is there one that's been easier to deal with than the others? Now, you know, I, Henry Rogers of Rogers and Cowan really took me under his wing, and he really instilled in me: If you can do any of it, you can do all of it. And I like doing, I like the variance. If I had to, if I just like stuck with all the heavy metal bands I worked and became like a hair publicist, I would have gotten real tired and burnt out by that. I like the diversion. I like representing different other people. It's a celebrity business. It's a celebrity world. So it doesn't matter what field they're in. And as far as beneficial is concerned, I mean, I've gotten tickets. I've invited to things. I get to go to ball games. I've been to the White House. And all of that has some sort of sentimental and importance to me. But overall, I like the variety more so than being one specific thing. 
And when we have uh, Aaron Van Dyne on in two oh. weeks, he's another guy yeah. who's not just music. He's dealt with a lot of different... Yeah. Aaron's, Aaron's crack-a-jack. He's, yeah. He's, he's, he's... We, we have a, another caller on the line. Hello, who are you? What do you want with us? <laughs> Hi, Rebecca. This is Enki Bello. How are you? Hey, Enki. How are you? Thanks for calling in. Okay, I have a question for George. Yes. Okay, George, thanks for all your input. It's really helpful. So, uh, for upcoming artists, what, what is the process to get articles in local newspapers and magazines doing it themselves? Uh, start thinking concentric circles. I mean, start with your immediate vicinity that you live in. Everything starts at home. You got to have a home base and then expand from that point on. So whether you get a regional story, whether it's a weekly or a monthly or a free publication, it really doesn't matter. One will get you two, two will get you four, and then it expounds from that point on. And, it, and all of a sudden you find yourself having a greater sort of portfolio of coverage. And, and you want to take it somewhere, and you also want to make sure that you wind up selling something so that you can make a living from this. Otherwise, all you're doing is doing publicity for publicity's sake, and that's and really what has happened today is that PR and marketing is a very thin line between them, even if there is a line between them. So you really want to make some sort of living at it in some sort of conceivable way. One more thing. So if, sure. if I want to release like a, like a, like an album, like my like news or something, like I have an upcoming concert, what, where should I go to get those like like local newspaper articles and news and stuff? Well, let's let's say you're going to do a uh, you got a gig at the bitter end, okay? You know, and you're on with four or five other acts. NYU is right around the corner from bitter end. Lives, I mean, NYU lives in the bitter end. Go to the radio station. Do something that that makes you stand out from the rest of the pack. One of the students in my class right now just did a gig there recently. I suggested that you do a tribute to Carol King. Carol King is very topical right now. Think of something that makes it beyond your own material. You can't expect people to be responsive to original material the first time they heard it. It's the biggest mistake right. that most artists make. So find something that's happening. Do a song uh, um, of, of some sort of incident that happened, if it's a New York City kind of thing. Bring people into it. Do, do a song about how... How the subways are now $2.75, you know? Do something that people can relate to. It's like comedians. That's how come comedians are successful. They tell you jokes that they, that you get, that the market that they're or the audience they're talking to understands. Um, and so think along those lines. I mean, follow what other people have done and then just make it work for yourself. Okay. Okay, that was helpful. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for calling okay. into Music Biz 101 and more. By the way, George, we okay. were getting some awesome feedback on Twitter all about you. <laughs> Zach Matari, who also, because of something you said, now calls himself the king of the East Coast. Good. Uh, he, he said right now that you are the best guest that this show has ever had. So Boy, look at listener. that. I know. And Zach, you haven't even seen what George looked like. He's a good-looking man. He is a good-looking fella. All right, we do have, in the other room, we have a question from a member of your class. Hi, it's Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Um, I just wanted to ask, if you could work with one person, who would it be? <sighs> I never, you know, I always thought that one day in my career I would just represent one person and I would be a part of their uh, organization, and, but I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, I, once again, I like the diversity of it, and I don't like being stuck in one sort of genre of, of, of PR. I mean... I'd never go back to the model business. I, I, I'd rather work with, like, the worst rock and roller or the worst rapper ever than deal with models. Why is that? Well, because you've got a 16-year-old girl who's trying to tell you what to do, 
and you're trying to protect her image where she's smoking a cigarette and she's got a drink in her hand and you're, uh, everybody knows it's got to be 21, you know, and she tells you, get the F away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd never go back to that. Would you represent Chris Brown? You know, what would you do? Joe Riccatelli and I have had a lot of discussions about Chris Brown. Chris Brown's one of those guys you tell him all the best advice and then he just does what he wants to do, like Mm -hmm. goes out and breaks his mom's windshield. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just know the guy's a train wreck waiting to happen. And at some point, you either walk away from somebody like that or start looking for another client. Mm-hmm. We actually have another call. We have our third caller into Music Biz 101 and more. By the way, call us if you'd like, 973-720-2738. You can tweet us at Music Biz 101 WP. But we are on the line with George Dassinger. Who are you and what do you want with us? Hi, this is the king of the East Coast. Yeah, there hey. we are. Mr. Zach Matari. I heard, I heard about you. <laughs> Recently. So um, I'd like to know as an independent artist as my, like myself, um, what questions should I be asking you? What questions? To get myself out there. What, what's like the best? You got to bring your audience into your show. I mean, I, w- I went to the Highline Ballroom the other night, um, and there was a guy who was on The Voice, but he's, his first statement was, I, I never... I, I don't tell you what I why I wrote this song. I want you, the audience, to tell me why I wrote this song. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. Why you, We want to know how Bruce, Bruce Springsteen was walking down the boardwalk and he met Clarence Clemens. We want, it's a storytelling operation. The more you tell stories, the more you bring people, engage them into your presentation, the better off you're going to be. So if you've got a very personal song that, let's say, this, is, this song's about a dysfunctional family. It ain't my family. But it's a family that I know, and and we've we've all seen it. And and you know, I think as I sing this song, you guys are going to start to understand. You've already created curiosity. You've already gave them some sort of intro, and that's what you want to do. You want to find some sort of way not to discommunicate yourself. You're in the communications business. You're supposed to get the audience waiting to see what you're going to do next and then you say and the next song is completely unlike the one i just did this one's about love and we've all been in love and then you just you just creating like like i said before comedians they come up with a subject matter like it's a young comedian goes ah i you know my parents and then he starts telling you about everybody's gone through stuff with their parents everybody's gone through stuff like getting a parking ticket in new york city those kind of things you just want to find familiar things that engage people and bring them into what you're doing. Thank Zach, you very much. Thanks. You're welcome. Zach, thank oh, you for great. calling in. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, another question for you. It is, uh, we want to go back to the, uh, to the modeling question because <laughs> uh, Allison McKenzie uh, tweeted us at Music Biz 101 WP. She said, what was it like working with Tyra Banks? Tyra was a sweetheart, I have to tell you, and, and she got it at a very early age, but she was afraid. Um, I actually uh, was had her in my we we're driving in my car and she was going to do a TV segment that that um, we put together where she was going to take a bunch of kids and they were going to go to a place where they made plates. She was so nervous. And my son, who's now works at MTV, um, was with there. He was really young. And he said, Tyra, what are you afraid of? And she said, we're going to have TV cameras. He said, but we're making plates. That's all we're going to do. And why don't we just do that? And she got it. You know, mm-hmm. she she was really easy to work with. And she was open to suggestion. Um, and, and that spoke very highly of her. She wasn't being difficult. She wasn't the one that said, I'm not going to do this. 
um, or she isn't the one that said, you know, mom, you just make one more word. I'm going to send you back to the trailer park that you came from. You know, all of that sort of stuff. And I tell my class this. I said, you start to see the world differently. You're going to be on the other side of the fence. If you're on a TV, the way you see a TV show like The Voice, you're supposed to see as the audience. But if you work the show, you see it entirely differently. And you got to be able to understand that that's where you're going to be. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a prop guy and worked on Law and Order. Well, he told, you know, one of the, I won't tell you which character. He said, you got to have your gun for this scene. And he said, no, I don't need it. He said, no, you got to have your gun. You got to have your gun. You know, that's what you are. You're a detective. Got to have your gun. I don't need it. He goes on set. The director says, hey, where's your gun? Oh, that damn prop guy didn't give me my gun. And he throws him under the bus. Now, could he take that personal? Sure. Is it part of his job that he has to suck it up? Yes. And on my end of the business, there have been times I've been called on the carpet. There's times I've been held accountable for things. And there's times I've been commended for what I do. And you got to take it all in stride. It's like sales. You have to have a very thick skin. It is sales. PR is sales. Mm -hmm. Oh, there ain't no question about it. I mean, you're out there. Why should I do this artist above any other artist that that I've been pitched on? I've been pitched on 10 of them today. How come I should do yours above all those? And you got to have enough credence. And sometimes you often you'll get success and other times you got knocked down and you just didn't have enough. I have a, a country artist and she should be playing the Grand Old Opry. There's no question why she shouldn't be on it. Yet it, I represent an independent label and I'm going up against all the majors in Nashville. Do they have more clout than my label? Without a doubt. She's the only independent artist in the top 50 in country. Should she be on the Grand Old Opry? Yes. Will I find some other way to get her on, even after I've been rejected once? Absolutely. I will book her on that if it's one of the last things I do. That's great. And that's the, that right there is the lesson is, is the attitude. The, it's just like Kenny Laguna had last night. Kenny Laguna said it's all about, what's the word with P, not perspiration? Um, persistence. Persistence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. you. You may perspire as you have persistence, but it's all about persistence. And that's what you got and that's what you need to do to, to have in this job. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to come up with a hook that's just out of the realm of things. Like I cited that one where the lead singer cooks. He's a great cook. But, you know, he wants to be recognized for his singing talent. Well, if one gets you to the other, it's a good thing. You know, it's not a bad thing, and it's a part of who you are. All right. On the other side of the glass, another member of your class. (laughs) Hey, this is Joe. I was just wondering what your most challenging stunt that you ever had to pull as a PR person was, and how did you pull it off? Oh, Joe, that's a good one. Let's see. The most challenging thing I had to do, I was representing the 1982 World's Fair. And they had absolutely nothing. They had one pavilion, the U.S. pavilion, which Reagan had put up the money for. So I called them up and I said, all right, well, what else? Well, we're talking to China about bringing over part of the Great Wall of China. I thought, yeah, that'll happen. (laughs) Um, And then we're talking to Russia about this and we're talking to South Africa. And I knew that talk is cheap. You know, really, it's tangible things. So I'm sitting at my desk and 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 they said, you got to get us on Good Morning America. So I call up the producer. I know Good Morning America. And he goes, well, George, you know, they got one pavilion. What else? If they get the Great Wall of China, we'll we'll book them. (laughs) So I'm sitting there and I thought, I got to do something. I got to come up with a news angle for these guys. So I called up the president of the fair. I said, I figured out what you can do. Book talent. Book everybody. Book Bob Hope, Bill Cosby, the Beach Boys. Book everybody that you can get. You got a budget. Just book talent. I will get you on Good Morning America if you book all that talent. And then make a mock-up of what the World's Fair will look. And he said, we only got one pavilion. I said, just put other pavilions. And he said, we'll just fill in the blanks later. And and then I realized that wasn't enough. 
So I, I called up, and I, I've done this often. Sometimes I'll cold call people. Um, I called up the Explorers Club in New York, and I said, um, I represent the 1982 World's Fair. We want to do a press briefing. And I never used the word press conference. Press briefing at, at your facility. And well, they, Why do you not use press conference instead press of press briefing? Press conference, that's what Obama does. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what, like, you know, if, if there's a world calamity, flight, you know, flight 370 is, 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 is a press conference. Mm -hmm. If you're just doing entertainment, it's a briefing to me that I just didn't – it's too egotistical and it's an overused term that I prefer not to. So the Explorers Club said, oh, yeah, and, and then I realized that wasn't enough either. So when I pitched the media to come to it, I, I put a menu in there and told them they would have bacon, eggs, coffee, tea, and you ever want to get people to show up? Food always works. <laughs> Never fails. Did it yesterday at Sony Red. We brought them the producers from Memphis, so we brought in spare ribs and – and mm. some greens and uh, biscuits. Everybody showed up. Now, whether they came up with a creative idea or not, that's another story. <laughs> Would have been nice if you had brought some of that to the Music Biz 101 and more set, but you elected not to, so that's fine. Uh, we have five minutes left, so we're going to try and do some rapid-fire questions, okay. all right? Sure. Shoot. Good. Okay. Caitlin wants to know, uh, what was your most rewarding experience from uh, work in PR? Most rewarding experience has been teaching this class. There's no doubt about that. And in the fact, and, and actually, Dr. Marconi is really, once again, it's all his fault. When yeah. I first did it and I had them do press kits and stuff, at the end of the semester, I thought, this is like an arts and crafts class. It's just, it's just not getting it. And I had one kid in there, and I'll always remember, I've, and I intentionally have forgotten his name. He made a poster of a, like a porn star that had a hit record, and he put her like her nude picture on, on this poster, and he thought that was his promotional thing. And I thought, oh, this is just a failure. So when I turned it into a hands-on, let's represent real clients where you really did the job, it changed the dynamics of it, and it made me more invested in it. And also, I see where the students get satisfaction. I never select a client where they're going to fail. But the first one I did was a, 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 was a race, and they were doing it all wrong. It was on Memorial Day. They had red, white, and blue. And so I told the class, they don't get it. This is their 25th anniversary. They should do everything silver. They should have silver cars. They should have, they should have gray T-shirts. And I said, when the principals come in, I want you guys to say that. I'm not going to say that. You guys do it. Long story short, the people were left there. They go, your class is brilliant. They were right. They were right. I'm worried about hot dog vendors and, and traffic control. And we got our 25th anniversary and we're not selling it. It was great. They, were so, they got excited about their own event. And the students were laughing after they left because they go, how do you know this, George? It's because it's half the time people that when they're doing an event, they can't see the forest from the trees. You know, they just to use an old adage. And you got to make it somewhat exciting. You got to get everybody excited. And the people who've been doing it for a long time get jaded and they get burnt out. And you're right? not burnt out or jaded. I have been burnt out and I have been jaded, um, but then I work on something that I'm not burnt out or jaded about, something that revitalizes my attention. Like on Wednesdays, I, I don't do any of my other reg regular clients. I just work on what I have to do for the class. I check the papers. I come up with something that has a news angle. Last week, I brought in like had Fat Joe had just gotten out of prison for income tax evasion. And I showed the class he was on the Bronx page of the Daily News. They pitched him as a Bronx story. That was the hook they used. And I said, you get it? I said, this is where, that's the hook they used. They were smart. 
Mm-hmm. They know they weren't going to get him stored. Well, another rapper gets out of jail for income tax evasion. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, well, you know what? We were going to do rapid-fire questions, and we got through one full question. So <laughs> there we go. Dr. Marconi, we're almost done. Do you have any last words that you would like to state? Yes, I think George brought up many examples of how, of, of exactly what, the way we started this um, show, and that is that their job is to make chicken salad out of anything that may occur. And certainly George has uh, all the uh, creative, you know, abilities to make this happen. And it continues to be fresh because you have to be creative differently in every instance that you uh, come across. That's true. That's true. And uh, this is one of those shows because we are now a podcast as well. And this is one of those shows that I personally am going to listen back to because you had a lot to say. Last week's show with Carl Guthrie, entertainment lawyer. These shows are... It's cool when the teachers, when the hosts are getting something out of it just as much as the listeners. So, appreciate it, It's been very rewarding. Thank you for having me. How can people get in touch with you, George, if they want to get in touch with you? I have a website, dassingercreative.com. They can email me at at gdassinger at Yahoo. I I try to get back to everybody. Um, I know I've probably put myself into a corner on that one, but um, why not? Well, that's good. We have 1.3 million listeners at this moment, so you're going to get a lot of emails. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, good, good job. Uh, Julie Welgas from Mio, thank you very much. Thanks Say goodbye. For me. Bye. It's good to have you. Dr. Marconi, thank you so much. Say goodbye. Adios. Adios for <laughs> Philip Gorohovsky, for Sebastian Escobar behind the glass, for George Dassinger's media use of the music and entertainment industry class, for Music Biz 101 and more. I am Dave Philp. You may call me Professor Dave. We've been listening on Brave New Radio, WP 88.7. We will see you next week, 8 p.m. Here's Joan Jett. Any weather on PSC. Thank you. Adios. Ah.